You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. When we look ahead to retirement, one big question, big, is are you doing everything you can to maximize your social security benefits and save for the future? It's time to make sure your plan is rock solid. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to learn more about specific ways to do just that with a complimentary wealth checkup. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We generally are actually more ready to pivot than we realize. By the time we consciously get to that point where we say, I want to make this move, we are well on our way there in ways that we maybe didn't intentionally realize. Hi, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. At some point in our lives, many of us experience a wake-up call about whether we're really going in the right direction. Sometimes it's brought on us by some sort of sudden life event. We lose a job. We go through an illness. Sometimes it comes out of taking a pause and thinking about nothing. My best ideas tend to come when I'm on a run or in the shower, go figure. And sometimes it's a a collective experience. Something so momentous happens that millions of people decide to completely change the trajectory of their lives. Something like I don't know, a pandemic, which we are still feeling the effects of three years later. Joanne Lippman, the former editor-in-chief of USA Today and the Wall Street Journal's Weekend Journal, was one of those millions of people in April of 2020, which, if you remember, was a time when everyone thought the pandemic would just last a couple more months. Joanne woke up one day and predicted correctly, that the pandemic would completely upend our professional lives. She realized that we were not going to be okay with going back to the status quo of working as we had done for years. So she set out to create a guidebook that would help us figure out the steps that we should take to transition careers, start businesses, and make many other kinds of major pivots. Fast forward to today, and yes, Joanne's prediction turned out to be true. We had the great resignation, the still resilient labor market. Both of those things combined have made it clear that workers have a lot more power than they used to when it comes to deciding what they want to do with their lives and how they want to do it. And if you're one of those workers who's had a wake-up call and wants to make a big change, Joanne's Got a new book out now to help you find that renewed sense of purpose. It's called 
Next, the power of reinvention in life and work. We're going to dig into it today. Joanne is also an on-air contributor at CNBC, a journalism lecturer at Yale, and the author of several other great books, including That's What She Said, What Men Need to Know and Women Need to Tell Them About Working Together. Joanne, welcome. Always so good to see you. Jean, it's so good to be here with you. Thanks. So you started, as I said, this book at the beginning of the pandemic, the very beginning of the pandemic. And now we're three years down the road. I can't even believe that. Where do you think people are with their relationships to work? Yeah, it's so interesting, Jean. So next, as you mentioned, what next is, it's a deeply reported guide to navigating change in how we live, how we work, how we lead. And as you mentioned, I did write it for this moment in time because we are still in search for that new normal. It's really interesting because three years after the pandemic, luckily that health crisis has receded, but that search for more meaning, for more purpose in what we do seems actually more urgent than it ever was even before. Do you think that's because the pandemic just sort of shook us to our cores in some way and made us realize that, you know, all life is kind of borrowed? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, if you think about it, it pulled us out of our routine, the pandemic. And what that did is it gave us that moment of reflection to say, you know, to start reprioritizing our lives, to start rethinking how we did our jobs, but also our very relationship to our jobs. And so as a result, when you're sort of rethinking in that way, you're saying, is this how I want to live my life? And can I live it differently? And also, you know, when you think about so many knowledge workers who were sent home and suddenly had a different kind of tempo to their lives, and they realized there was a way to integrate their lives and their work in a way that they had never done before. And that opened our eyes to say, you know what, there is a different way. We actually do want to think about how do we reinvent the workplace, but also kind of reinvent our lives. Like, how are we going about living and what are we prioritizing and how are we spending our time? I've heard it described that prior to the pandemic, many people lived to work and now that's been flipped. More people are are working to live or working to support the lives that they want. Or do you think it's just somewhere in between? No, no, I I absolutely agree with you. People are rethinking how work fits into their life instead of how life fits into their work. And that is a reversal. And that's something that companies are dealing with right now. A lot of companies are trying to bring people back. A lot of them are saying you got to come back five days a week. They're getting a lot of pushback. We're seeing it with younger workers. And by the way, I'm sure you've hit on this before, but with each succeeding generation, people spend less time in their each job. So if you look at millennials, it's two years and nine months. If you look at Gen Zers entering the workplace, it's two years and three months. And so there is this opportunity for people to rethink and reinvent their careers and to do it multiple times in the course of their life, because particularly these younger workers who are coming in now, unlike those of us who came in, you know, several decades ago, um, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> yeah, a few decades ago, it was there was always this assumption a career is a 40 year path to you get to 65 and you retire. 
people coming into the workforce now are looking at something that is probably more like a 60-year career path. And so you combine that with the shorter period of time that they're spending in each job, and you have multiple opportunities for reinvention. And that really was one of the inspirations for me writing Next was this idea, you know, there really isn't a guidebook for this, and we do need to figure out how do we get from here to there, and are there strategies that can get us from here to there. And that's Actually, that was the background of the book. I did interview hundreds of people who have gone through transitions of all sorts. And then I also spoke to experts in the process of change, everyone from management theorists to psychologists to neuroscientists who study what happens inside your brain when you have those aha moments like you were just talking about. We're going to dig into all that. But before I get to the tactics, and I think you know me well enough to know that I like the tactics, I like a recipe. I like a roadmap. I like solutions for how to get from A to B to Z. But before we do that, how do you know if you're ready, right? Change is scary. Pivoting is daunting. How do you get the sense that you're ready to make a change? Yeah. So this is really interesting. I have a whole chapter on how do you know when to make the leap? And one of the things I looked into was gut feeling. And actually, it turns out that gut feeling is frequently correct, which I was happy to hear about because I tend to go by my own gut feeling. (laughs) I was glad to be validated. But the reason that it tends to be correct is because it actually doesn't come out of nowhere. Gut feeling is literally kind of a physical feeling. It's where your body gets there before your brain does. And the reason that generally happens is because it's actually a form of pattern recognition. It is something that you have some experience with, that you have knowledge about, but your body kind of understands this before your brain rationally puts it together. So gut feeling is one thing. But What I found with the people, and I spoke to people who had the most amazing reinventions, you know, the guy who started out as a J.P. Morgan economist and is now a cattle farmer, or the telephone repairman who's now a women's shoe designer. And when I talked to them about their pivots, it turns out for them and for almost everyone I spoke to that we generally are actually more ready to pivot than we realize. By the time we consciously get to that point where we say, I want to make this move, we are well on our way there in ways that we maybe didn't intentionally realize, right? Like a side hustle, a hobby, a random interest. So the most successful pivoters were not people who just dropped one identity suddenly, and then said, I'm going to adopt another, right? It's not like, today I'm a journalist, tomorrow I'm going to be an astronaut. It does not work like that. But what does work is this organic change, organic. So most of the people I spoke to were starting to inch along toward wherever they were moving, and they generally started on that path before they were consciously aware of it. It's fascinating, and I think intuition is such a misunderstood discipline. I mean, you're right. I've read a lot about it, and it's patterns that you've seen through your life that your brain doesn't quite understand that you've seen throughout your life. One person actually said, if you're not sure what your gut is telling you, the thing to do is to flip a coin, and that while the coin is up in the air, you will wish that it goes one way or another, and that's your intuition talking to you. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I've done it before. It actually works. You lay out four main steps for people to follow on this process of reinvention. And I'd love to take our listeners 
through them. They are search, struggle, stop, and finally, hopefully, you get to the solution. Can we take them one by one? Where do you begin searching? Sure. So the search is actually what I was just describing. So the search, that first step is when you are collecting information, you're collecting experiences. And again, for so many of the people I spoke to, it was not intentional. It wasn't anything like they said, I'm doing this because I want to transition to this different career or transition to this different identity. It was more like it was just happening very organically. And very often people don't know that it will ultimately lead them somewhere else. It could be something, you know, a hobby, a side hustle, a course you're taking, something like that. The next step is this struggle. So the struggle This is the one we don't like to talk about, but this is where you start to disconnect from your previous identity, but you haven't quite figured out the new one. And it's really uncomfortable. And we feel miserable when we're in it, honestly, which is why we don't talk about it. And generally, when we tell these reinvention stories, we tend to skip over this step. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But generally, this step doesn't end until you reach the third step, which is the stop. So the stop is something that pulls you out of your routine. And that could be something you choose, like I quit my job. It could also be something imposed on you for the people I interviewed. Some, you know, it could have been like a kid going off to college or an illness or a divorce, some sort of life moment or a pandemic, something that pulls you out of your routine. And only then do you get that perspective that you need, that you can synthesize all of those previous experiences and all those thoughts that have been floating around in your head. They can synthesize and give you the perspective you need to understand where you need to go. And that leads you to your fourth step, which is the solution, which is that transition. I know that you have gotten a huge response to this book. It's doing really well. Congratulations on that. But one of the things that people are really reacting to is this idea of embracing the struggle rather than being made miserable by it or glossing over it or trying to avoid it. What is it about this part of the process that's so necessary? Yeah. So the struggle is where all the hard work gets done. So the struggle in this period, you feel like you're standing still or that you're stuck. That is where you say you when you walk around saying, I'm stuck, I can't figure it out. But the fact is you're moving forward. All of my research points to the fact that this is an incredibly productive time. It's just that you don't realize it. And I call it the Cinderella myth, honestly, because We are brought up on this idea that transformation should happen overnight. It's Cinderella. It's Spider-Man and Superman. It's when we're grownups. It's American Idol. Who wants to be a millionaire? And it kind of teaches us that transformation should happen instantly. And that means that when it doesn't happen for us, we feel bad about ourselves. So many people right now are feeling that struggle. And I think in the wake of the pandemic and everything we're going through right now, more than ever, people are feeling that, but they're not talking about it. They're talking about it maybe in the privacy of their own homes, but we need to normalize it and get it out there in public and make people understand that it's normal, natural, and that you are going to move forward. Well, we are going to sit with the struggle here. In fact, we're going to go one better than that. Joanne, I know you've got some strategies in the book to help us deal with the struggle, some tips to help us understand it, parse it, get through it. 
We're going to get to that in just a sec, but we are going to take a quick break first. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Retirement is on the horizon, and when we talk about saving and investing to prepare for our future, we also have to talk about Social Security. It is an important part of our financial futures, but too many of us don't do enough to maximize our Social Security benefits. That's why it may be time for a wealth checkup to help make sure your strategies are the best they can be for your unique situation. Personally, I think everyone, everyone needs a checkup about 10 years out from retirement. You can schedule your complimentary wealth checkup at planefe.com slash hermoney. And we are back with Joanne Lippman, journalist, author of the book Next, The Power of Reinvention in Life and Work. So what are your favorite strategies for getting through this period of struggle and coming out the other side? Sure. So I actually have a dozen strategies that I gleaned from all these people I talked to that are very common among pivoters. And I'll just mention a couple of my favorites. So the first I would say is to imagine your possible selves. Now, this is a phrase I'm borrowing from psychologists, but what it means is thinking about who you might be, who you could be, even who you fear you might be. But it's beyond daydreaming. It is imagining, envisioning, what would it feel like to be this person? How would others perceive me? And very importantly, what are the steps I would actually have to take to get there? Because it's not simply enough to imagine who you might be. You've got to actually get it outside of your head and take action on it. And that would be another step, which is Take action, right? Don't just cogitate. Take a course. Shadow someone if you're interested or do an informational interview if you're interested. You know, so pursue and get outside of your own thoughts because otherwise you'll be in an endless loop inside your own head. Another, a third step that I would mention, and this is probably my favorite of all of them, is to find your expert companion. What is that? The expert companion, I borrowed this phrase from trauma psychologists. I have a whole chapter in Next on post-traumatic growth, something a lot of people are not aware of, but we all know about post-traumatic stress after a terrible incident. Post-traumatic growth is to try and help people to go beyond, to bounce forward and grow in positive ways. And one of the ways is to have what is called an expert companion. I think we all need one. What it is, it's a person who knows you, who listens to you, but who reflects back to you your strengths, your talents, your progress. And they don't necessarily tell you what to do, but what they do is they illuminate for you so that you yourself get a much better focus on who you are, where you're going. The reason this is so important, Jean, is because we all have these innate strengths and talents that are so second nature to us that we either don't recognize them at all, or if we do recognize them, we discount them because they come so easily to us that it just seems meaningless. Do you have an expert companion and has this person helped you through your life? Yes, I would say. So you can have more than one expert companion, but my best expert companion is definitely my husband. And I can tell you very quickly how this worked for me was I was at the Wall Street Journal for 22 years. I had a wonderful career. I loved the place. I was given an opportunity, an amazing opportunity to move to Condé Nast to start a brand new business magazine. 
And I was torn for months. I was literally paralyzed about leave a job I love for a risky job that sounds exciting, right? What to do? And one day I was going over sort of pros and cons with my husband, as usual. He didn't tell me what to do, but what he did say to me was, he said, when I see you talk about your current job, and then I see you talk about this mythical non-existent magazine that you could create, he said, your entire physical affect changes. He said, you don't see it, but I see your face light up. I see an excitement just in your physical presence that is missing when you talk about your current job. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) It was like a mind-blowing moment. But it was also the moment when I realized that I had actually made that decision. And that is when literally I made the decision to go and launch the new magazine. I totally get it. And by the way, Portfolio was a great magazine. Oh, thank you. It was really well done, but I get it. I mean, the reason that we launched our Finance Fix coaching program at Her Money was because my husband said something very similar to me. He said, you get so excited when you talk about the money makeovers that you've done with people over the years, when you actually are helping people move forward, making progress with their own goals of saving more and spending less and paying down debt. And you should do that in real life. And that's what nudged us to launch this coaching program that now we've helped hundreds of people. So it's true. I don't know that I would have recognized that in myself. And I've heard that from so many other people. Another one of my very quick favorite stories along these lines is Danny Meyer, who we all know as the famous restaurateur, Union Square and all of the, you know, Shake Shack, all these fabulous places. And Danny Meyer told me that, you know, he was kind of kicking around as a young man, not really knowing what he wanted to do. So he says, oh, I'll go to law school. And he says the night before he was to take the LSAT, he had dinner with his uncle. And his uncle said to him, why are you going to law school ever since I've known you since you were a baby? Like, all you ever care about is food. And <laughs> and you love food. And have you ever thought about the restaurant business? And Danny said, until that very moment, it never occurred to him that the restaurant business was actually a career. It was just, to him, it was just sort of a passion. It never even, he never even thought about it. And as a result, though, of that sort of stray comment, that observation from his uncle who knew him well, he never went to law school. And thank goodness for that, because the rest of us would be a lot worse off if he had been a lawyer instead of a restaurateur. Absolutely. I was on the West Coast just this weekend. We went to In-N-Out Burger. Nothing compared to Shake Shack. (laughs) Shake Shack is at the top of my list. It's interesting. You talk about Danny Meyer. You and I, of course, both women examples. Have you noticed any gender differences in your research about making pivots? There definitely is a gender differential and not just a gender differential. I actually have a chapter in the book that's called The Necessity Entrepreneur. And the necessity entrepreneur are people who get pushed off out of mainstream careers. And that tends to be women, people of color, and increasingly, actually, baby boomers because they're in or reaching retirement age and they're getting squeezed out or they're not getting opportunities any longer. And all of these groups end up very frequently becoming entrepreneurs or having to reinvent their careers because they don't have a choice. But what's fascinating about this is there's there's two really interesting things about women because they will virtually all, and the researchers have shown this, w- women almost all end up having to reinvent their careers for one reason or another. 
But there's two things. One is that when women lose their jobs versus men, women actually have a stronger self-identity than men do. Men's identities are tied almost exclusively to their job title. For women, we have the same problem as men do, but we have a larger social circle and we are able to pivot more in order to tap into alternate identities. And I saw this when our beloved magazine portfolio, when it closed after the financial crisis, the men were all like, I have to get another job. And the women, even the breadwinners who were women, were saying, oh, wow, this is a chance for me to spend time with my kids. Or this is a chance for me to go spend time with my mother across the country who I haven't seen. They tapped into identities as parents, as children, as weekend athletes, and in a way that the men did not. So I thought that was very interesting. But also, and this is really fascinating, when women reinvent their careers, they very frequently end up pivoting into something that is very much mission-driven, purpose-driven. Once you see that, you will see it everywhere. I mean, if you think about someone like Sally Krawcheck, ran two investment banks, it was not a female career at all. But what is she doing now? She runs Elevest, which is investing for women, and Elevate, which is a nonprofit to help with women's financial literacy. All pivots, I should say most pivots, require some sort of financing. You've got to either make your money stretch while you're pivoting, or you have to pivot to provide yourself with an income for longer. What do you think are the most important things to look at when you're looking at the numbers? Yes. Okay. So there's no question that there is a degree of privilege involved in pivoting, and there's a degree of financial stability that is needed. Don't just quit your job, right? Like you can move gradually into your next phase before you actually just wholesale quit. And I think that is incredibly important. Also, you know, you want to have some degree of stability, and it doesn't mean that. Not everyone can do it. So, for example, one of my very favorite examples of someone who pivoted is a telephone repairman named Chris Donovan, grew up in a working class family in Boston, and got a job at the phone company because that's what you do when he was a teenager, and he stayed for, for many years. And he had this secret hobby that he did not share, which was drawing these very elaborate designs of shoes. And he was just fascinated in an architectural way with these shoe designs that he would draw. But he didn't show them to anyone until he was in his 30s when he met his now husband, finally shares these drawings. His husband says, oh, my gosh, you have actual design talent. And Chris goes through that struggle that we're talking about because you need a job. He needs the financial security of the job. Shoes is not a real job. <laughs> you know, that's not a thing. And he went through that for a number of years. And when he was 50 years old, finally, he reached his stop moment, which was he was unfortunately diagnosed with cancer, luckily recovered. But when he was diagnosed, he was finally said, you know what, life is too short. And it really led him to pivot. And when he recovered, he took early retirement. And then his husband, they'd been scraping and saving to get a rehab of the kitchen. And his husband gave him that pot and said, take it, go back to school, which he did, and became a shoe designer. Chris Donovan Shoes, you can check him out online. And what I love is Boston Magazine, a couple of years ago, they named him the best new designer. They called him fashion's newest design superstar. And he wow. was 62 years old. 
So it took him a long time, and there was a financial issue involved, but he got to his dream. And I met a lot of people like that. And I, I do think, you know, finance is important. But again, he did move before he moved. He did a ton of work, those years and years of drawing and honing his own designs. What I love about this skill set, Joanne, is that it seems like it's a set of skills that once you sort of take it in and understand it, you'll be able to apply five years from now, 10 years from now, three months from now. It's not a one and done, but it's something that you'll probably lean on again and again. Are you hearing that from the people that have gone through it? I am. And not only that, that first of all, recognizing the steps is very, very helpful. I found it just helpful in thinking about my own career, my own trajectory, because I too, like I think most people, I've been through those periods of time where I'm like, oh my God, where am I going next? Like, what is going on? And it's terrifying. And so understanding the process is really helpful, but also understanding that most of us will probably go through this more than once. And I would imagine that for the younger generations coming up who are looking at this 60-year career path, it's going to happen for them multiple times. But I also can see it in these younger generations because I interviewed people from their 20s through their 90s. And I could see it in the younger people I interviewed that they're very comfortable with this idea. I think for those of us who are a little older, it's a new novel concept. It's a little scary. And I think that for younger generations coming up, it's something that is coming much more naturally to them and that they expect it. So I do think that um, you'll go through this multiple times, but knowing the strategies and knowing how that roadmap sort of plays out really takes a lot of the mystery out of it, which is helpful and also helps you to figure out proactively how to move through those stages. Yeah, absolutely. So helpful. Joanne, thank you for being with us. And if people would like to learn more about you or about the book, where do they go? Sure. Um, my website is joannelipman.com, and you can find information about the book, about me. You can contact me, and we can get in touch. And to buy next, The Power of Reinvention in Life and Work, you can buy that anywhere, Amazon. But I do always love to encourage people to support their local independent bookstores. Absolutely. And we will talk to you again, I hope, very, very soon. This is always fun for me. Thanks so much for being here and for writing it. Thanks, Jean. Great to be with you. Thank you. Before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? (laughs) You get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the hosts of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser-known figures. For instance, Saida Haltura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective Perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling 
In detailed analysis, foul play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. And we are back for our mailbag. My daughter, Julia Chatsky, is in the studio with me. It's always exciting for me to talk to Joanne Lippman, I have to say, hero of mine. Pretty big deal. Very big deal. I mean, I'm sure you have people in your company now that have been or are becoming people that you look up to. Yeah, totally. I feel like some of the VPs that I look up to are like the coolest, smartest people I know. It's fun to want to be just like somebody else in a workplace and let them take you under your wing and just sort of watch you grow. Absolutely. And you'll have more, you yeah. know, as you build your career. Let's dive into some of our questions. All right. Our first question today comes to us from Jane. She writes, Hello, I have a question about paying down my mortgage versus putting extra money in my retirement account at this point. I have a one-time $20,000 inheritance to work with. My emergency fund is up to date. A little background. I'm a single mom of three grown children and bought out my ex-husband's share of our home in 2017. The balance on that loan is 69000 at 4.25% with another 24 years to go. I am still working and will have a small $13,000 pension when I retire in 9 to 10 years. And when my ex retires in a few years, my share of his pension will be about $28,000. His pension money will be extra income in the years between his and my retirement. One factor is that one of my children is disabled and will not be able to afford to live on his own perhaps ever. My thought is that if he can inherit this house and if the mortgage is paid for, that will be an affordable and stable option for him. I am also considering moving out of this house when the housing market stabilizes. I opened a Roth IRA in 2019 with a Fidelity Total Market Index Fund and have made almost nothing on it. I would have made more money in my regular high-interest bank account. I can only afford to add $50 a month to it. My question, should I use this $20,000 to fully fund last year and this year's IRA or put it towards something that is guaranteed to save money in the long run, the mortgage? When my ex retires, I am planning to use his pension money to pay down this mortgage. So if I stay in this house, it will be paid probably within the next six years. Thank you for your advice. Thank you for writing. And Jane, look, I get it. I get the temptation to pay off the mortgage because it feels really secure, particularly if you're a woman like me who's been through a divorce. It feels really secure to know that you own it and that you own it outright. That's not what I would do. And the reason that I wouldn't do it is because when we think about the return on our money, we have to view the interest rate as the return. And so the return that you get by paying off a mortgage at 4.25% is 4.25%. And when you look at 
the return that you get for investing your money in a diversified portfolio, and I'm going to just use an example of a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, which is what pension funds have relied on for years, the average return that you get from that over time, historically, is about 10% a year, a little under 10% a year. And I know your frustration with the total market index fund is that you haven't made any money on it, but you just went through 2022, which was the worst year on record in a really, really long time. And you're not giving yourself enough of a time horizon to be fair to that total market index fund. So I would use the $20,000 to put into your IRAs. We got this question, I think, before the IRA deadline passed for the year, but make this year's contribution and next year's contribution when you're able to do that, put the money aside and uh, park it for now until you can make next year's contribution in in some sort of a high-rate savings account. I would invest the money in a diversified portfolio. I don't know that I would put it at your age, and I'm guessing you're going to retire in 9 to 10 years. I'm guessing you're about my age, which is late 50s, early 60s. And I would look at a total stock market index fund and a total bond market index fund in that 60-40 proportion or a balanced fund, or a life cycle fund, something that gives you some exposure to bonds as well. And then I would ask myself the very same question when you get your husband's pension. When that money starts flowing to you, I would look at the return that you're getting on your money in your investments versus the return that you're getting on your money paying off the mortgage. I do like the idea of retiring with a paid-off mortgage, but maybe you want to put some of the money toward your retirement and some of the money toward the mortgage. And last thing, this is a really good time in your life if you haven't done it before to sit down with a financial advisor and to make a plan for how to get to where you want to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and to make sure that your child, particularly your child with disabilities, but all your children are cared for because you've got an estate plan in place. So if you haven't done that work, that's work that I would do, and and now is not too early to start. That makes sense? Definitely. Our next question comes from Irene. She writes, pretty sure I'm getting laid off tomorrow, and I'm thinking about how I'll go about my job search. How picky should I be regarding salary? I've always negotiated and gotten offers equal or higher paying than my previous job, but I've never been unemployed while looking. For instance, the other day I talked to a recruiter and she said they pay 25% less than I currently make for the same title. So I said, no thanks. I think it was a fair enough range and that right now I'm just at the higher end of the spectrum. I should get a couple of months severance, and I have roughly five months cash easily accessible. I'm just worried I'll regret saying no to lower offers if a few months go by and I haven't found anything. I'm editing to add that I could live on much less if I had to. I just don't want to feel like I'm taking a step backwards. Thanks in advance. So first of all, Irene, I'm really, really sorry 
that this is happening to you. But what I hear in your letter is complete demoralization. And your history, as you lay it out, doesn't argue for that at all. Right now, we are going through a period of pretty heavy layoffs in this country. I mean, you read the headlines and companies are just laying off people all the time. And what that says to me is we don't take it personally, right? We don't take layoffs personally. Layoffs are not firings. They are something that happens to our company and to our industry. And even though they would like to keep us, they can't afford to keep us right now. By the same token, the job market is still really strong. And although you may need to tweak where you are looking to apply your skills to industries that are hiring and hiring strong, don't get yourself stuck in some sort of a negative feedback loop before you have any information or more information. I know you have information from one recruiter, but that's one data point. And you've got years of history of positive data points. Don't let yourself get stuck in a situation where you are feeling like you don't deserve it because you do deserve it. You've got a long work history showing that you deserve it. So cast a wide net. If you haven't listened to our episode with Eliana Goldstein, I want you to go back and listen to our episode with Eliana Goldstein because she's got a lot of really targeted, specific advice about resumes and cover letters and LinkedIn's, but also about confidence. And right now what I'm sensing is that you need a confidence boost. I mean, Julia, look, I've been laid off. Actually, yeah. I haven't been laid off. I've been fired. You've been laid off. I sure was. And it's demoralizing. Yeah, it sucks. But I think, I mean, I think you said it, but she needs to know her worth, right? She's done the work. She has five months of cash, easily accessible. It sounds like you know your value and you want it to be not a lateral move, right? So to me, and you may disagree, but five months cash, easily accessible means you have the time to really find that next role, right? Like there's always time to get a smaller day job, to have some cash inflow just to make you feel better, right? But after I was laid off, I feel like the thing I tried to hone in on the most was that in the interview process, you're not just being interviewed, but you're also interviewing them. So just encouraging her to be picky, right? Like this next job, you don't want to be at another place that isn't right, even if this last place was, but know your value. Know what you can bring to the table and get what you want out of it. Don't settle. Yeah, agreed. And one of the pieces of advice that we got from Eliana Goldstein that stuck with me is that when you look at job ads, women tend to say, I can't do that job unless I have 100% of the qualifications. She said 60 to 70% of the qualifications is plenty. And that in fact, if you have 100% of the qualifications, it's not the job for you because you should be at the next level. You would have nothing to learn 
from this job. So, Jules, I think that's I think that's really good advice. And Irene, let us know what happens. I'd love to know where you land. I'd love to know your success story. Send us another letter and follow up. Yeah, we're rooting for you, Irene. Absolutely. And if you have any other money-related questions, we'd love to hear from you. Just send them to us by emailing mailbag at hermoney.com. Thanks, Jules. Thank you. And now we're going to take a quick break. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. We are back with your money tip of the week. It is easier than ever to spend money without using cash, which usually means we're spending more. In fact, studies have shown that people are willing to spend up to 83% more when they are paying for things with a card versus cash. Yikes. One way you can keep a better grasp on your spending is to delete any stored credit card information from websites and apps. Having to manually enter those details every single time you shop makes it more likely that you'll think through your impulse purchases. If you want to learn more tricks for curbing your spending, you can find them at hermoney.com. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Joanne Lippman for showing how we can pivot our careers and our finances with knowledge and confidence. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We do love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. Our producer is Chelsea Zhu. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.